be seated. Amen. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22 this morning, we're going into the Old Testament. Uh, now that's okay, uh, because uh, as I had one preacher said one time, uh, one of my pastors when I was younger, uh, said anytime I tell you to turn to the Old Testament, don't worry, unless I'm standing up to preach from the Old Testament wearing my black suit and red tie. Now I don't know what that meant, but... Uh, I know anytime he got it, whenever, whenever I saw him come to the church, that's the first thing I started looking for is what suit's he wearing today. And if he came in wearing a black suit and a red tie and he called me, that's the Old Testament, then I got a little nervous. But, uh, but I never understood what he meant by that. But anyways, I don't know where that came from. But Genesis chapter 22, uh, Genesis chapter 22. Uh, and here's what I want to do this, this week and next week. I want to I look, look at some familiar passages maybe. I want us to kind of revisit. I said for the next, I said a couple weeks ago, we're going to look at some things. We're going to kind of celebrate we're going to go back and look at some things that maybe we've forgotten. Here's what the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me about probably for the last month. That there are sermons and that you and I have heard. There are portions of scriptures that you and I have studied. And we kind of take for granted that since we've studied it, everybody else has too. We kind of forget that there was a time when we didn't know the story of David and Goliath. Amen? There was a time when we didn't know about how Noah built the ark. I, catch myself now having to say that carefully because, you know, I'm one of those preachers. I had a preacher a whole, spent his whole sermon talking, telling us about how Moses built the ark. And, and you know, yeah, and, 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 and then so now I have to say very carefully. But, but Noah, Noah and the building of the ark, how Moses and the Israelites went through the Red Sea, how God parted the waters, how he provided for them in the wilderness, even as he was judging them and directing them, and all these different stories in the Bible that we forget. And so... What I want to do is try and pick some of those. Just let the Holy Spirit lead us and, and celebrate some of those. And this morning I want to go to Genesis chapter 22. And here's the title of my message. A preview of Calvary. A preview of Calvary. Now as you're turning there, if you're already there, uh, if you're already in Genesis 22, say amen. All right, good, good. Uh, here's what I want us to understand. The Old Testament is God's, if you will, portrait gallery. Uh, it's sort of like his... Uh, it, it, it's his, it's his, um, it's his Louvre, all right. It's it's his Atlanta Museum of, of or whatever, all right. You know, but, but it, it, when you read the Old Testament, there are all these beautiful pictures that that really only make sense once you get into the New Testament. So, y'all with me? Amen. Uh, one preacher said it this way: the Old Testament is revealed by the New Testament, and the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. You can't separate the two. And why is that important? Because I think I've shared with you before, I know I've shared throughout the years, that I've heard people tell me that, well, we're Christians now, we're living in the church age, we live in the New Testament, we don't need the Old Testament anymore, and I beg to differ. Amen? So with that in mind, I want us to look at Genesis 22. We're going to read the first 14 verses, and I want us to think about this subject this morning, a preview of Calvary. Now, I'm going to share some things with you you may or may not have heard before, and I'm going to go ahead and qualify this. I reserve the right, number one, I reserve the right to be wrong. I always reserve that right for myself because I'm wrong way more times than I want to admit. Amen. But I reserve the right to be wrong, okay? But what I'm going to show you this morning is something, if you've never seen it before, uh, if you can't prove me wrong, that's okay. I probably can't prove you wrong. We can't prove ourselves right. But I'm going to show you some things this morning that maybe you've never seen before. Just something to consider because this is how amazing our God is. Even as he's preparing for the, for the coming of Christ, even as the Old Testament is being written, even as he's choosing Israel, he is doing things that you and I 
fully couldn't understand. They couldn't understand at the time that even now, you and I, when we look back on it, it's amazing to see the sovereignty of God moving. I'll give you this example. In Peter, the, the Bible tells us that the old prophets and the angels longed to look into the things that they were writing. They, the angels would deliver the message. The prophets would write it down. And they wrote things down that even they couldn't understand until after Jesus had come. So that's, that's kind of the foundation this morning. So Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read down to verse 14. Familiar passage, maybe. Uh, I say that again, maybe. Uh, verse 1. It said, It came to pass after these things that God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son... God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And then they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And for those of you that watch the devotions in the morning, tune in for those. We talked about the names of God and how that appears repeatedly in the Psalms. And here is one of the most precious names of God, Jehovah-Jireh which literally means the Lord will provide. And so with that in mind, let's go back and now let's work through this just a little bit and let's look at some things this morning. Look carefully in, verse, in chapter 22, back in verse 1. It came to pass after these things. After what things? We don't know. But a great period of time has passed. 
If you know the story of Abraham, you know how he was barren. You know how him and wife, his wife Sarah were barren. They didn't have a child. You know the whole story of how Sarah gave him this really bad advice about his handmaid. And then Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. And then there's this long period of silence in the life of Abraham where God does not speak to Abraham. And when he finally speaks to Abraham again and shows up and speaks to him, after years of silence, the first words out of God's mouth are, I am the Lord God. Obey me. Stop thinking about your stuff. Stop trying to control your own life. I told you what I was going to do. You didn't listen to me. You've dealt with the trouble of this. And then he reaffirms the promise. And he goes and tells Sarah. And then, of course, you know that in the process of time, Sarah becomes pregnant and she gives birth to Isaac. And here we have now this story after all that has been through in the life of Abraham, after a great much time has passed, now God is testing Abraham. And if you have King James that says tempt, I always change it to test because so many misconceptions about that word. God does not tempt us to do evil. God does not put evil in front of us uh, to try us that way. But he tests us. He proves us. And he's not trying to prove anything to himself. He's trying to prove us to ourselves. That when you and I are tested by God, he wants us to see in our own lives just how much we do trust God and how much we don't. Amen. So it's, it's more about God putting us in a situation that reveals something about us than anything about God or what God doesn't know because God already knows. Now, in verse 2, he says, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, and, and get into the land of Moriah in there. And if you jump down to verse 5 now, it says, Now notice this, Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the foal, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now notice that. Abraham's been told, go and offer your son for a second. Go in the mountain, go do this, what you're going to do. Uh, uh, this, this, this is, you're going to offer him as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains that I told you. But now here, he, they come to the place, they stop, they get off, they get everything together, and Abraham looks at the men who are with him, and he says, you guys wait here. We're both coming back. Did you catch that? Have you ever seen that before in the Scripture? Have you ever noticed before that Abraham said, I and the lad, we will return to you. Abraham knew they would both return. He knew by covenant. He knew that God had given him the promise that it was in his seed, in the seed of the son that God would give him, that all the nations would be, uh, the earth would be blessed, that his seed would be multiplied. Abraham knew something that you and I didn't know. There's something new in the life of Abraham that's taken place. He has a faith here, and don't miss that. He has a faith here to understand that God has given him a promise, a promise that he once didn't understand, that he once doubted, that he once took into his own hands. Now he has this promise. Now he has this child who is growing up, and God said, go offer him for a sacrifice. And now apparently Abraham said, all right, I remember how this turned out last time I tried to think about this in my mind, and I remember what that resulted in. So now Abraham says, all right, here's what we're going to do, guys. Y'all wait here. Me and the boy, we're going up, and me and the boy, we're coming back. I'm going to go offer him. He didn't tell him what he was going to do, but he knew what God had told him to do, and he knew somehow, some way, that both would walk up that hill and both would come back off that hill. Now look at verse 8. Abraham said, my son, and now Isaac's not, he's not clueless, all right? He's not missing what's going on here. Isaac said, uh, dad, we're, you know, we're heading up the mountain. I know what a sacrifice is. You've offered sacrifices before. You got the fire, we got the wood, we're heading up here. Um, Where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And look at verse 8. My son, Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. 
It's the only time that Isaac questioned his father in any way is when he said, where, where, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham gave an answer, and that was the end of the discussion, and the two of them went up the mountain. And even, as we've already read in the story, not only that, but when they get to the mountain, Abraham's going to bind him and put him on top of the altar, and you hear not a word from Isaac. Now, I want you to focus on verse 8, because this is important. This is important. The statement there, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a, bur for a burnt offering. That's an ambiguous statement in the Hebrew. It's very difficult to read. And there are three possible ways of reading it. Literally, the way it's written in the Hebrew, there are three possible ways to read that. And I'm going to give it to you in the English. I'm going to translate it three ways in English, all right? Here's what it means. When Abraham said, my, gun, uh, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. It means, number one, God himself would provide the lamb. It means that God himself will provide the lamb. Isaac says, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, son, God is responsible for providing the lamb. That's good, amen. That's just the first one, amen. God will provide the lamb. Number two, it could mean God will supply himself as the lamb. God himself will provide the lamb. Or the lamb will be God himself. So, number one, God will provide the lamb. Number two, God himself will be the lamb. And this is in Genesis 22 before we even get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Amen. And then here's the third meaning. God will provide to himself a lamb. Meaning that the lamb that would be provided would be provided as a sacrifice and a payment to God and nobody else. Now, this isn't in my notes, but I want to give this to you free. Amen? Go ahead and take off the table anything you've ever heard about any pastor or any Sunday school teacher who, with the best of intentions, ever told you that somehow or another, on the cross, Jesus paid off the devil. The devil didn't get a dime because God didn't owe him anything. What Jesus did on the cross didn't have anything to do with satisfying Satan in any way. It had everything to do with satisfying the righteous God of the universe. Amen. And so in this verse, in Genesis 22, a couple thousand years before, depending on how you count, at least a thousand years before Jesus is ever born, before we ever encounter Calvary, you have this transaction taking place between Abraham, Isaac, God, and an unknown sacrifice on this mountain. And I, and I wrote this down, so I'm going to read this quickly. God doesn't owe Satan anything. The payment was made by God to God because when Adam sinned, not only was man's heart torn away from God, not only was the physical universe divided, Romans chapter 8, but there's also within the very heart of God a division that took place. The moment that Adam sinned, God's mercy said, pardon him, but God's justice said, judge him. And so mercy and justice began a war in the very heart of God. The moment that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God himself was torn. God himself was divided. And, and, and for the first time here now, uh, what happened uh, as God is alienated within himself, for the first time since the fall, mercy and justice are now beginning to turn and look at each other. Here, what you're seeing happen here is what happens when, when God's justice and God's mercy come together, and it comes together in a way that you and I could never understand in this world. And so uh, that's why I love the fact that, that one, of the, one of the verses in the psalm says this. It says that righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Mercy and justice have, that, that, that were once at odds with each other 
have now faced each other with a solution that you and I can never make. Now, verses 8 through 13, here's where everything begins to change because this is important. Isaac was the original sacrifice as they went up the mountain. But you know the story. You know that as they get up to the top of the mountain, everything happens. They, the angel stops Abraham from the sacrifice, and he turns and he looks, and there's a ram caught in the thicket. There's a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, caught in a thicket of thorns. His head is wrapped in thorns. He turns and he looks, and here's this ram and his head wrapped in thorns. And just as Jesus was crowned with thorns, here is a ram crowned in a thicket of thorns. But I want you to note this. This is important. This is all introduction. i got three things I'm going to share with you. We'll go pretty quick, quick as we can. Amen. But this is important. Isaac asked the question, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. That's what Abraham said. And when he turned and looked in the thicket, was not a ram, was not a lamb, but a ram. Please note, beloved, that when Abraham, and I'm telling you, Abraham knew something we didn't know. There's something we've missed when we read our Bible. When he turned and saw the ram, Abraham said, when he said, God will provide a lamb, they turned and he found the ram. Can I say this, that in this moment, at this time, the ram was provided as a temporary substitute. The lamb had yet to come. That's good, amen? Oh, it's even better than that. In verse 14, in verse 14, And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And in verse 14, what we have is the understanding that one day this entire scene is going to be repeated in perfection. But this time Jesus himself will be the substitute as the sacrifice for our sins in the ultimate deed, the ultimate satisfaction of God's righteousness. Galatians chapter, now here's where, this is the New Testament explaining the Old Testament. Galatians chapter 3 verse 8 says, God preached the gospel before unto Abraham. God preached the gospel before unto Abraham. Now, I don't know if he told Abraham there's going to come a day when I'm going to become a man. I'm going to send my son, Jesus. God is going to walk among you, and he's going to be. I don't know how he preached it to him. I don't know what he did or how. But here the Bible tells us God preached the gospel to Abraham. And then in John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus said this. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. I, 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 I can't prove it. You, I can't prove them right. You can't prove them wrong. But I, the more I read this passage, the more I'm convinced that somehow, some way, when God said, go offer your son, somehow is there at the top of that mountain as he's getting ready to offer Isaac. Somehow or another, God showed him the day would come when there would be another man who would be sacrificed on a cross, on a hill, who would take away the sins of the world. And Abraham rejoiced in that. Not just because he wasn't going to have to take the life of his only son, but because one day the promise would be paid and made known to man in a way that, that we can't even still today wrap our minds around. In fact, it gets even better. That, Jesus said to his enemies, I love this. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 46, Before Abraham was, I am. And then I love this. In John 5, verse 46, Jesus said, Moses wrote about me. See, the Old Testament, beloved, 
is a beautiful picture of Christ, of everything that God is going to do. It unfolds throughout the pages of Genesis all the way to Malachi. There is story after story after story of how God worked to bring Jesus into the world and secure our salvation. So with that in mind, that's the introduction. Three things I'm going to share with us this morning quickly. Number one, the picture of the suffering sovereign. Number two, the picture of the submitting son. And number three, the picture of the saving sacrifice. Amen. So here's the first thing, the picture of the suffering sovereign. All right, the central figure in this story is Abraham. The central figure in this story is Abraham. Everything revolves around him and the transactions taking place between his son. All right, uh, you can say it's Isaac, but it's not. It's all about Abraham. God speak to Abraham. Do this, Abraham, this Abraham. It's Abraham moving. This is the story. This is the first thing you now need to understand about this story. This is the story of a loving father. Amen. Amen. Y'all seeing it? I mean, some of this I don't even think I need to preach, but I'm going to. Hallelujah. <laughs> Verse 2. Look at this. Oh, it gets better. Verse 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. Now, get ready for this. This is the first time that the word love appears in the Bible. Here in Genesis chapter two, 22, it appears, and it appears after 21 chapters of seed planting, the word love is now used, and it's used to describe the relationship between a father and a son. Well, that's good. Amen. Do you see it? When we look in the scriptures for a biblical pattern of love, the first instance, and if you know anything about studying your Bible, you know the law of first mention. Here we find love, picturing a father's love for his son. This is the biblical standard. Now, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three Gospels, they all have a phrase at some point. They all refer to Jesus as the beloved son. Say, so that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But what about John? Does John? Absolutely. Guess where? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that little phrase, only begotten son, if you've studied your Bibles, and for those of you that have, you'll know this, for those of us that are, those of you that are new to this, the literal translation in the Greek, literally only begotten son, literally means his only beloved son. The son whom the father loved. The most precious part of the Trinity. God the father looking at his only son and giving him as the sacrifice for our sins. Number one, he was a loving father. Number two, it's the picture of a, of a, of a willing father. Notice this in verse 3. Abraham rose up early in the morning. Early in the morning. There's no hesitation. There's no murmuring. There's no complaining. There's just the willing heart of a father. And he rose up early in the morning, and he did exactly as God instructed him to. Compare this. If you know anything about the life of Abraham, go back and read it, how he would argue with God. He'd think about it. He didn't know what to do. Here now, Abraham has reached the point in his life where God tells him what to do. And he, the Bible says he doesn't delay. He doesn't sleep in. He doesn't drag his feet. He gets up early in the morning, and he takes care of the business that God has asked him to take care of. This father going now to prepare his son. Now, I will say this, beloved, this picture of a suffering sovereign, a loving father and a willing father. Let me ask you this question. Do you know? Does the Bible tell you? And the answer to this question is yes. How early did God get up for us? 
How early did the Father rise for us? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. How early did God get up before he even breathed into existence the universe, before he even created the, the earth and the moon and the stars, before he put the animals on the earth, before he put Adam and Eve in the garden, before the foundation of the world, God had determined that his son would be the sacrifice for everything that was going to follow. And then here's the third thing. Not just a loving father and a willing father, but he is a giving father. He's a father who gave his only son, literally his one-of-a-kind son, his only beloved son. And the Bible says this, Just as God, who spared not his son Jesus, but delivered him up for us all, that we might freely receive by the gift of his son Jesus. He was a giving father. God the Father was willing to give Jesus. Abraham is willing to give his son Isaac. And then here's the fourth thing. He was a suffering father. You notice what's interesting about this story is Sarah's never told what's going to happen. Isaac's not even told what's going to happen. Now, I think Isaac figured it out. And if you've ever seen some of the movies on the Bible, every now and then, every now and then, I, I like the fact that some of them, you'll, you'll see Abraham taking off with Isaac and Sarah kind of sees what, what, what Abraham is doing and she kind of maybe gets an idea, but she doesn't know. And there's even one that was made where she's kind of weeping and I think she understands that God has just asked Abraham to do something very significant. But, but as far as we know, the burden in this story, who bears the burden of what's about to happen is the father. It's the father. Isaac was told, but Abraham carried the burden. Beloved, I want you to understand that we have a heavenly father. We have God Almighty, and every day he bears the burden. He bears more than just one burden. He bears, number one, the burden of the fact that he has given his son to pay the ultimate price for the salvation of anyone who will receive him. But even to this day, the father bears the burden of every individual who lives and rejects Jesus with every breath they take. That God the Father who loved so much that he gave his only begotten son and there are still people in this world who want to argue with that and say no to that. And so in this story you have the picture of a suffering sovereign. Number two, you have the picture of a submitting son. Now, I want to get you to know this is, all right, so it gets better. Sarah was 127 years old according to the scripture when she died. Isaac was weaned when Sarah was about 92 or 93 years old. That's amazing. According to Genesis 21, a long period of time passed after the birth of Isaac. Now, we don't know how long, but if you do the math, and it's very difficult, if he was weaned when she was 92 or 93, died when she was 127, if you go, if this is anywhere close to her, if let's just say 112, that's 20 years later after he was weaned. See, here, here's what you need. You start doing the math and you run into a problem because almost every picture, well, every picture I've ever seen in Sunday school, in the books, every picture I've ever seen of, of Abraham going up that hill with Isaac, he's walking with a little boy. Every picture I've ever seen is the picture of a little boy laid out on the altar. But can I say to you that there's something hidden in Scripture that we'd better lead, read carefully here. Number one, do the math. There's something going on with the age. But number two, the word that is used is important. When he says in verse 5, 
I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. That word lad in the Hebrew is a massive word and it's used multiple ways. And it's used, it's used, it is the same word that is used in numerous times in the Old Testament for a full-grown man. A full-grown servant in the Old Testament and even, it's even the word used for a fully armed soldier. So what I say to you, beloved, is it's more than possible that as Abraham and Isaac went up this hill, Isaac was not the little boy that you and I see in the pictures, but he could have been in his 20s. In fact, oh, you want it to get real good? There's absolutely every reason to believe that, that when Isaac went up that hill with Abraham, that he was in his 30s. The same age as Jesus was. When he went to Calvary. Now, I can't prove, can't prove that's how old he was. You can't prove that's how old he wasn't. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you that when God paints a picture, he paints with broad brush strokes and sometimes he hides things beneath layers of paint. And tucked away in this story is not a little boy trusting his father, but very probably what would be recognized, what would have been recognized in that day as a grown man capable of acting on his own, and he's still surrendering to the will of his Father. Jesus said, I came not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And when he said that, he was a full-grown man. (laughs) Isaac, a couple of things, four things quickly. Number one, Isaac was the son of promise. So was Jesus Isaac's birth was predicted, promised, and prophesied, and long awaited before he ever arrived. And God told Abraham, in this son, in your son, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Jesus was predicted, promised, prophesied, and long awaited before he ever arrived. Number two, Isaac was a supernaturally born son. But his supernatural birth was different. His supernatural birth had to do with the fact that it more to do with the fact that, that both Abraham, and if you read it carefully, the Bible said, Abraham, Sarah said, Sarah said, I am beyond the childbearing age, but, but, but there's no understanding of exactly what that means. But, but Abraham, on the other hand, doesn't say that about Abraham. So it's possible for Abraham and Sarah, as old as they were, God who is sovereign over the womb, to take a man perfectly capable of reproducing with a woman who's still capable of reproducing, not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God, because with what man is impossible with God all things are possible and so now here this supernaturally born son to then Jesus who was born with with Joseph having nothing to do with it but the angel said the Holy Spirit will will come upon you and you shall conceive and bear a child so the birth of Isaac was a born of a supernatural promise Jesus born of a supernatural promise number three Isaac was hated by his brother when he arrived and the Bible says in Isaiah and other places that Jesus, the Messiah, would be hated by his brethren. And if you look at his life, for all of the miracles and everything he did, every time you turn around, there was somebody who hated him. There was somebody who wanted to put him to death, the scribes, the Pharisees. Then number four, he was a submissive son for 30 years or so. He was so in tune with his father and confident in his covenant relationship with God that when Abraham revealed his intention, I love, this is good, I got more here. I'm going to give you this one quickly. Look at verse 2. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. Abraham had two sons. Not in God's eyes. 
In God's eyes, the only son that mattered was the son that had come by the promise of God. God never acknowledges your accomplishments and my accomplishments in the flesh. He always works in the realm of the spirit in a way that you and I can't understand. And so he doesn't even acknowledge Isaac. He says, you take, or Ishmael, he says, you take Isaac. You take Isaac, your only son. And then, I love this, this submissive son. He asks the question, where's the sacrifice? God will provide the sacrifice. They go to the top of the mountain. And at no point, at no point does Isaac often, I'm, I think it's even better than that. I think not only did Isaac not argue with Abraham as he was bound, as, as he's preparing the wood for the altar, but I think that at some point, Isaac climbed up on that altar willingly and laid there and trusted himself to his father. The Bible says that Jesus was led as a lamb to the slaughter and he opened not his mouth. He uttered not a word. Everything Jesus did, he did trusting his heavenly father. Well, here's the third thing this morning. The saving sacrifice. Not just the suffering, the suffering father and the, and, and the, and the submitting son, but, the, but the, the saving sacrifice. Everything was accomplished by there. This is beautiful. Who did all the preparing? Who does everything in the story? It's Abraham. It's the father. What does he do? He gets the wood. He, gets, he builds the altar. He gets everything. And in this story, Abraham does everything except provide the lamb because there's a bigger story taking place here. And, and the only sacrifice that the father is being asked to provide here is, in fact, his son. So the preparation, all accomplished by the father. He built the altar. He cut the wood. He even raised the knife. The Bible says that of Jesus, speaking of God the Father, to Jesus, it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him and put him to grief. He has borne our iniquities. He has borne our shame. He was wounded for our transgressions. That in this story, you have the Father preparing everything he needed to do to offer his only son for somebody else's salvation. And now... We look back 2,000 years and we see that is exactly what God the Father did on the cross with Jesus. But notice the place of the sacrifice. Not just the pre preparation, but the place of the sacrifice. Five times in this chapter, the place is mentioned, but not specifically, not even close. In fact, it's mentioned and it's carefully guarded. Here's what the Bible tells us. Go into the land of Moriah to the mountain that I will show you of. Now, the land of Moriah, and you can look at it on the map today, and it's changed a little bit, but it winds like a snake. And there are several hills, there are several mountains that make up the land of Moriah. At the southern end of the land of Moriah is Mount Moriah. And that's where most of us say, Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Moriah. He took him to Mount Moriah, and he offered him there as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. But nowhere in this passage does it say that it was on Mount Moriah. He said, go into the land of Moriah to the mountain that I will show you. Never told what the mountain is. Oh, it gets better than that. At the end of the land of Moriah, just across from Mount Moriah, is a valley which leads over and connects right up to the city of what is now Jerusalem. And right at the end of the edge of the land of Moriah is a little mountain called Mount Zion, where Jerusalem sits. And then just a short distance to the north, there's a knobby little hill called Mount Calvary, or Golgotha. So it's quite possible that Abraham journeyed some 50 miles 
to offer a sacrifice on an unnamed hill in Genesis 22. Why? Because God knew that a thousand years later, there would be a sacrifice on a hill in the land of Moriah, on the edge, by Zion, on a hill we call Golgotha, where a cross would be dropped in the ground, and on that cross, the Son of God would be crucified and become the sacrifice for the sins of man. What was the prescription for the sacrifice? He says, offer him for a burnt offering. The Bible says that Jesus offered his body, his soul, his spirit as a total offering to be consumed for our salvation. He shed his blood. He was broken, bruised, and beaten. And then who was involved with this? Now, this gets even better than that. It gets even better. When Abraham left, he left with Isaac. The Bible says he left, he went with Isaac. And I'm looking to make sure I'm not saying this wrong. He, He says, unto his young men... And we don't know, but his young men, plural. So when Abraham and Isaac went to make this journey, they had at least two other people with them. And as they got to the place of the sacrifice, Abraham stopped and said, me and the boy, we're going to go up here, but you too have to wait here. You can go no further. And when Jesus was crucified on Calvary, we know, you know from the story, that there were two men crucified on either side of him. But the focus of that story isn't the two thieves. The focus is the man in the middle. It's Jesus Christ. Abraham placed the wood on Isaac. He carried it up the mountain. Did you, did, you, did you catch that? He takes the wood. He puts it on Isaac's back. And Isaac walks up the mountain with his father, carrying the wood that is going to be used to prepare the altar that Isaac himself would be laid upon. The Bible says that Jesus took his cross and he carried it down that Via Dolorosa all the way to a hill called Mount Calvary, where when he reached the top of that mountain, and I know the story of how another was called to help compel him to take the cross. That's a whole other sermon, and it's loaded too. Hallelujah. Amen. And they got to the top of the mountain. The cross was laid down. Jesus stretched out over the cross. His feet and hands were nailed to that cross, and he was dropped into the ground. Abraham placed the wood on Isaac. Isaac carried it up the mountain. The altar was built. The wood was removed. He was placed on the altar, Isaac was placed on the wood. Now, John chapter 19 tells us how Jesus was sacrificed, but it gets even better than that. How long did these men journey? They journeyed, we're told in the text, that they journeyed for about three days. Do you realize that every step that Abraham took, every step that he took with Isaac and those men that were with him, every step he took, he knew that he was going to offer up his son as a sacrifice. The father had to carry that burden for three days. You think when Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you think, do do we think somehow that God didn't see that his heart wasn't torn and broken over what was happening to his son and yet the father knew there was no other way just as the son knew there was no other way the price that would be paid and so the bible tells us and 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 i want to turn here and and i'm going to read this i'm going to read this because this is where it gets good turn to hebrews chapter 11 verse 16 19 we're done with this hebrews chapter 11 verse 16 through 19 
I love this. I love how the New Testament shows us things we didn't see. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16 through 19. Did Isaac ever really die? We know the difference in the story is in this story is that Isaac never died. <laughs> but as far as Abraham was concerned, he was dead for three days. Every step they took, he was as good as dead. But here's where, here's where it gets good. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. It says, But now they desire a better place, a better country, that is a heavenly country, where God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Sound familiar? of whom it was said that in Isaac shall your seed be called, and then here's the key, verse 19, accounting or reckoning that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Here's what Abraham had come in his life to understand. I'm going to go up that mountain. I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. I'm going to take the life of my only son because that's what God has asked of me. But in that son lies all the promises of the seed and the hope of the world. So if God wants me to take my son's life, then I have to believe that somehow or another he is going to raise him back to life again that's what the bible says abraham believed every step didn't make it any easier the fact that he was fixing to have to take his son's life to know that he was going to rise from the dead you don't get to say well i'm going to kill you but it's okay you'll be back with me as soon as it's over god's going to bring no no his heart was torn every step of the way and he was about to do something that he couldn't imagine in his mind he thought i will god's going to have to raise him from the dead but you know the story how god stopped his hand he turns and he looks and there's a ram in a thicket not the lamb, because the lamb would not come until Jesus came and fulfilled the promise. Not just all the promises that God had made to Abraham, but the promise of what's taking place right here in Genesis chapter 23. Now, I'll give you this and we'll be done. William Steiger wrote a poem called, I, I Saw God Naked in the Night. This is what it says. I saw God bare his soul one day where, er, where all the earth might see. The stark and naked heart of him on lonely Calvary. There was a crimson sky of blood and overhead a storm. When lightning slit the clouds, a flood of light engulfed his form. Beyond the storm, a rainbow lent a light to every clod, and on that cross my eyes beheld the naked soul of God. Beloved, we are living in a day when this world has no idea and cannot fathom and has not stopped to consider exactly what it means that the Almighty God, the ruler and the creator of the universe, 2,000 years ago, gave his one and only son to go on a hill to die, to shed his blood for your salvation and mine. Everything we talked about in the Sunday school lesson this morning. And I didn't even know, where the, I didn't even know that's what we were going to be covering in the lesson. But that's God. That's how God works. I didn't know that. Amen? This is, two, this is a thousand years Jesus came after Abraham. 30 minutes after Sunday school, this is where we went. I didn't know. Sometimes God doesn't wait that long. Hallelujah. Beloved, if you're watching, whether you're watching on Facebook, whether you watch this video later, whether you're here, whatever's going on in your heart, your life, whatever, if you've never, ever truly stopped 
and considered. But that price that was paid, that not the ram, but the lamb, Jesus, slain before the foundation of the world, was slain for your sins. And if you've never trusted him and you've never called upon him and asked him to be your savior, then this morning, the Father and I both want to extend that invitation to you. To before you leave this place, before you finish this message, that you settle in your heart that you understand that Jesus died for you. 